all tied up here in the ninth. Two and two is the count. Two outs and a man on third. The pressure is on for these young men. They've all worked so hard for this moment. One run is all they need to win it all. Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. Hey, I want to say welcome to all of you at all of our campuses this morning. And today what we're doing is we're kind of wrapping up this sermon series entitled Bottom of the Ninth. And so if you have not been here for the past few weeks, because uh, this is our fifth week, uh, we would love for you to go onto our website or our app to catch up on this series. Because the reality is every one of these sermons are so important to us to process because every one of us, we experience bottom of the ninth moments in our life. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know that we've kind of talked about like what do we do when we're in a bottom of the ninth moment like what should you do in your bottom of the ninth we spent the first couple of weeks talking about that and then it's like the second and th or the third and fourth week we talked about like what do you do when you're in a bottom of the ninth and you're waiting for God to come through and then as I said last week we said okay so what happens though when you're waiting for God to come through and he doesn't because every bottom of the ninth doesn't necessarily have a comeback I mean, sometimes comebacks don't come through, but we learned last week, what do you do when you experience the bottom of the ninth and you lose? And that's huge, because here's what we learned. Even when you lose, God can use you. So today what we want to do as a fifth part of our conversation is we just kind of want to shift gears slightly and answer a question that most every one of us are probably facing in some shape, form, or fashion in our worlds right now, and that is this. How do you respond to others who are in a bottom of the ninth? Like, how do you respond to others when they are in their bottom of the ninth kind of moment? Like, what do you do when you have a coworker that opens up to you and they tell you, hey, I went to the doctor last week and... You know, I just wasn't expecting this, but I got this call and I had, to go, I had to go back in and they told me I have like stage four cancer. Or, or like, what do you do when a friend tells you that their mom went in for this surgery and they just thought it was kind of a routine surgery and out of that surgery, she unexpectedly died? Or what do you do when you have friends and they have this newborn baby and all of a sudden you can tell they're on the ragged edge and I mean life has just gotten really difficult for them and then you find out this baby won't sleep and they're on the edge of exhaustion and, and life is just really hard. Or what do you do when you find out like your sister is just filled with anxiety and becoming clinically depressed? Or how do you respond when like your neighbor tells you, I just lost my job, didn't see that coming or... You know, I'm going through this divorce and never expected that. Or, or, or they leave the family to go into rehab for a season. Like, well, what do you do? Like, those are such difficult moments. And, and we watch people face these all the time, don't we? So how do you respond? 
I mean, I think every one of us, haven't we all kind of wondered at times, like, how, how do I respond to this? In fact, let me give you some responses that many of us have uh, when it comes to these kind of moments. And most of these, we would never really admit out loud, but we've thought some of these things at some times. So we thought things like this, like, man, I'm relieved it's not me. I mean, we've all had someone tell us when they're facing this bottom of the ninth, and, and we've thought in our mind, Man, thank God I'm not having to deal with that. Now, there, there's nothing really like wrong with that kind of thought unless you're just kind of cynical and, and not caring because what this thought can do from a healthy way is it can kind of give us a perspective that helps us be grateful. But this response here, it's not enough because it, it doesn't help in any way. Or how about this response? Or I helped the last time. You know, I just helped somebody, and I'm not sure that I can help again. And, and sometimes the loving thing to do is not to help if it just is going to make the situation worse. But the reality is sometimes it just shows that we're kind of being self-centered, and, and we just don't want to pay the price to put somebody else's needs before our own needs. Or here, here's another one that kind of ties in with this one, and that is I don't have time. And again, in some cases, this may be very appropriate, but in most cases, when we go, I don't have time, it's because we don't want to make the time, or we want, don't want to give the time for somebody else because, guess what? It's going to cost us time for what we want to do for ourselves. But the reality is, we've all thought these thoughts in our mind. But here's what I know about you. Having been your pastor for like 20-something years here, here's what I know about you. I know that you want to love people well, and, and you as a church, you want to care for people well, and, and we have people on all of our campuses this morning who, who you want to get this right. But for most of us, because we want to get this right, maybe our response isn't these first three. Maybe for most of us, our response is something like this. I have no idea what to do. Like, I just have no idea. You hear about this bottom of the ninth moment in someone's life, and you just go, I have no idea what to do. And then you call the church, and you go, hey, Pastor Paul, what do we do? And I'm like, I don't know what we do. You know, because sometimes it's like you don't know what to do. But oftentimes what happens is, is when you're in this moment, what it does is it keeps you from responding to other people in their bottom of the ninth because you're not quite sure how to respond. And, and, and because you love and you care about people, it's like, I don't want to mess it up or I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. So you know what we end up doing? We do nothing. We say nothing because in our mind it's like, I want to handle this perfectly and I'm not sure that I can handle it perfectly. And so we let perfection paralyze us and what ends up happening is the moment passes us by. And in doing nothing or saying nothing for fear of doing the wrong thing, what happens is we miss the opportunity and we miss the moment to do the right thing and help somebody else have a comeback in their life or come through their bottom of the ninth moment or even more, help them restart after a game is over that they've lost. And so what we want to do today is we want to talk about this. Like, how do we make sure that we don't miss the opportunity to help someone come through their bottom of the ninth moment? Like, how can we be part of the team that helps others when they're down and out and maybe filled with all kind of doubt? Now, here's the thing. 
If you're with us today on any of our campuses and, and you're not a Jesus follower or you really don't you know, say, I don't even know if I'm a church kind of person and, and you're just kind of checking out this God and this faith kind of thing and, and you're still trying to figure out what you believe, here's the good news for you today. Everything that we're gonna talk about today it's kind of optional for you. I mean, like, you're welcome to try this, and, and you'll probably want to try it because, like, you want to be a caring, loving kind of person, and so you'll probably want to try what we're going to talk about today. But if you're not a Christ follower, you're, you're not obligated to do this. And the other piece of good news is this, is what we're going to talk about is going to address maybe some of the things that Christians have done that kind of annoy you when you see them step in and try to help a person that is struggling. And maybe after today's conversation, you'll go, yeah, they didn't get it right, but I understand their heart now. But here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what we're gonna to discover today, and that is this. We have a responsibility to come alongside people in their bottom of the night kind of moment. Because here's the thing, God came alongside of us in our bottom of the ninth moment. In fact, what God did is he showed us extraordinary compassion and generosity like when we were in need. And so we have no other option but to do the same thing and to give to others what God has given to us. So the question becomes, how? Like, how do I respond when I have no idea what to do? Like, how do you respond to someone in their bottom of the ninth moment in, a, in an encouraging and a helpful kind of way that carries them through when you have no idea what to do? Well, here's the good news. Mark, who is one of Jesus' disciples, he records for us in, in his letter that he wrote or in his, or his account of Jesus' life that he wrote, he records of, uh, for us a story of a small group of guys who show us how to respond or what to do when we have no idea what to do. Now, let me just kind of give you a little backstory to this, this uh, story that we're going to be talking about. Or, this story was like one of my favorite stories. It's always been one of my favorite stories. But I remember as a kid, even before I could really read, looking at this picture Bible story that we had as a kid, and I would look at the, story, the pictures of the story trying to grasp all kind of the details and what motivated these guys to do for their friend what they did. But before we get into all that, I want to tell you this incident, what it does, is it takes place early in Jesus' public ministry in a town called Capernaum. Now, Capernaum, if you will, you could say this was kind of like Jesus' base of operation. And Capernaum is just like this little fishing village of about 1,500 people, like on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it was a home of several of his disciples, including James and John and, and Peter and Andrew. Now, Jesus, he kind of starts out his ministry in that area, and so he heals some people in that community, and he does some teaching, and then he leaves Capernaum, and he goes and he travels into some of the surrounding areas, and he also does some miracles and some teachings there. And so the people in Capernaum, they've heard about what Jesus has done there, and they hear what Jesus is doing there, and the story picks up right after Jesus comes back to his home, or back to his base of operation, basically a Capernaum. And as you can imagine, it creates quite a scene in the town. In fact, here's how Mark says this. Mark chapter two, if you wanna follow along in your Bibles, is where we're gonna begin. He says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Notice what happens. They gathered in such a large number that there was no room left basically inside the home, not even outside the door. 
and he preached the word to them. Now, some historians, they have kind of speculated that this happened in Peter's home. We know that Peter had a house there that Jesus had stayed at, and so that would kind of make sense. And in some ways, as we go through this story, because of what happens later, you kind of hope it was Peter's house, because it probably messed with Peter a little bit. But anyhow, the word kind of gets out that Jesus has come back, and I mean, the whole town kind of goes crazy, and people rush in to see him, and, and they want to hear what he has to say. But more than that, they want to see if he's going to do some miracles and maybe even some miracles for them. And so they pack out this house and, and then they pack out the yard around the house because nobody wants to miss this moment. See, that's the scene at Peter's place that Mark is telling us about when this one particular group shows up. Notice what happens. Some men, they came bringing to him a paralyzed man. So this paralyzed man, he's having a bottom of the ninth kind of moment. So this paralyzed man is brought by four of them. And now here's the thing about them. He's carried by four of them. We don't know how many them is. I mean, there could have been more guys, but we know that four people are carrying him. So this guy, he has a friend, or they have these guys, this group of guys, they have this friend who's in this bottom of the ninth kind of moment, and he's been paralyzed. And in the culture of that time, if you're paralyzed, I mean, it means it's really a bad bottom of the ninth kind of moment, because the best you're going to do is you're going to beg for a living, or maybe you can depend on, if your family had enough wealth, you could depend on them to make it. So when his friends hear that Jesus has showed up in town, they see this as their opportunity to change their friend's life. And so what they do is they take initiative to get their friend to Jesus. Now, Mark doesn't tell us this, but you kind of wonder, did this paralyzed man, did he have any say in this? Or did they just make it happen? And, and the reason I say that is because sometimes when you have a friend or a family member or a person that you love who is in a bottom of the ninth kind of moment, their life is so paralyzed by what they're going through that the only thing you can do is to step in and make something happen for them. And I would not be surprised if this happened with this paralyzed man. Because sometimes you have a person who's paralyzed by fear or anxiety or addiction or something, and sometimes you just have to step in and move them, figure out a way to move them toward Jesus. Now, the problem is these guys, they're, they're doing that, but they get to the house, and it's standing room only. So Mark tells us what they do. Here's what he says. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they said, Sorry, buddy. We'll try again next time Jesus brings his show through town. Like, hey, man, we, we gave it a shot. We never expected the house to be this full. And we sorry we hated we, we We sorry that we bounced you across town by carrying you. But we're going to carry you back to your little begging spot. And you can beg there for the rest of the day. And, and you just kind of go back to your routine. You just, but here's the thing. We just want you to know that we care. Now, some of you are reading your Bibles and you go, no, that's not what my Bible says. Now, that's not what they did. That's not what the Bible says. We just made that up and put it up there. They did something much better. Here's what they did. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they all took a selfie together and got a hashtag thinking about you, bro, trending on social media. I mean, like, how thoughtful is that? 
right? I mean, I mean, plus, it just requires no sacrifice from these guys, right? Just a quick photo, hashtag, and now everybody in the community knows this guy's in the bottom of the ninth, and nobody feels any obligation to do anything to help this guy because they have hashtagged him, right? Now, isn't that kind of how it works in our culture? It's like, oh, we don't have to show anybody any kind of care because we hashtagged it, you know? Nope, Mark didn't say this either. And these guys didn't do this, okay? Notice what happens, really. This is real what happens, okay? Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. Now, I want to stop there before I show you the rest of this. The thing you have to understand is they didn't stop and say, sorry, buddy, and they didn't do the hashtag thing. No, no. They didn't turn away. They didn't give up easily. These guys were the kind of friends who were going to do whatever it took to help their friend, no matter what it took, no matter how difficult it was. I mean, these were the kind of friends that believed this. This is what they believed. If we can bring him to Jesus, something good will happen. Like, if we can just get our friend in the same room as Jesus, if we can just get Jesus' attention for a minute, then it's going to turn out all right. Because here's what they were sure of. They're sure of this, that what our friend needs most in his bottom of the ninth moment was not a, hey, we've made a good effort at it, or not any kind of hashtag fame, but what their friend needed the most was a personal encounter with Jesus. So we're not stopping until he has a personal encounter with Jesus. And that's what they did. In fact, some of you know this story, but don't miss what these guys did. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, and this, this part really happened. I mean, this, for some of you are going, no, you made this up too. No, no, this really happened. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, here's the thing. This is what used to treat me as a kid about this story. I'm like, how did they do that? Like Mark leaves out all these de details that so many of us would like to know. But when these guys find that the house is too full and the yard's too full, they come up with this bright idea. And while everybody is crammed in Peter's house listening to Jesus teach, I mean, and I'm sure it's something that was very important, very encouraging, very engaging. And all of a sudden they're listening to Jesus teach and the ceiling starts falling in on them. You know, there's parts of the ceiling and then sunlight start appearing and then you've got these people looking down through the roof. And I'm sure that Peter's thinking, going, man, I cut off somebody, he hadn't done it yet. But later on, you remember Peter cut off this guy's ear. Peter's probably thinking, I'll cut your ear off if you take that, you know, my roof off. But anyhow, like I'm sure Peter's sitting there going, are you kidding me? Like you're tearing up my roof. I'm not even sure I've got insurance to cover that kind of thing. And, you know, probably people in the room are like shouting out, will you guys stop this? And, you know, probably some of the people knew him or calling out by name. But these guys don't stop. And then they freak this crowd out even a little bit more because all of a sudden they're starting to let this mat down with this man on it right in front of Jesus. So you've got to have this pretty big hole in the roof. And of course, by this point, you know, Jesus has stopped talking and everybody's looking at this thing and, and this guy's kind of taking the ride of his life at the mercy of his friends and, until he's laying right there in front of Jesus. And don't miss this. These guys could have easily said what we made up earlier in that verse. They could have easily said, well, we tried. It, it just didn't work. We, we weren't sure what to do and we sure don't know what to do now. Yeah, we could tear this roof off of this house, but man, I don't know if that's the best thing to do because it could make Peter mad and it could make Jesus mad for interrupting his teaching time. 
But these guys, they teach us something in this moment that is so important to remember when you are helping a friend in the bottom of the ninth moment. And that is this. Don't be perfect. Just be present. You don't have to have a perfect response. You don't have to have a perfect plan. You don't even have to have perfect words of wisdom. The key is not to be perfect. The key is to be present. In fact, it might even help you to know how important a deal this is to us as a church because for all of our children, all the small group, um, all the small group leaders for our children's areas of ministry, our student areas of ministry, even for adults, this is what we try to instill in them as one of their values as a leader. It's like don't be perfect, just be present. Just show up and be present. Be personally engaged and, and show up and be present randomly even during the week in their lives. And so we, we try to make sure that we instill that into our Wombaland small group leaders and room leaders and our upstreet children's area small group leaders and then our students inside out in transit. We want them to be present. In fact, if you're an adult leader um, for adult small groups, you're, you're going to get a book a little later on in the, this next month. Of just, it's, the title of the book is just a little booklet called Be Present. And it just help you understand the power of being present. The key is to be present, is to show up, is to do something, is to take action in somebody's life that's going to help them move forward in their life. Like, here's the thing. You, you can tell people all day long that you're praying for them, and that is important. But your faith needs to be expressed through some kind of action. Like, you need to pray for them and then take a meal to them. You need to pray for them and then show up at the funeral home. Or you need to pray for them and then take time to have like coffee with them or take them to a meal and just listen to them. Or you need to pray for them and, and watch their kids for them for a season of time. You see, it's, it's this whole thing where you pray and then you act. And you don't let the fact that you have no idea what to do keep you from doing anything. And here's the thing. Some of you are going to go, yeah, but what if I say or do the wrong thing? Will I do that sometimes? Absolutely. I mean, I've been a pastor for over 25 years, and there are still some times that I say the wrong thing or I, I do the wrong thing, and it feels so awkward. But here's what this story teaches us. God honors faith in action. And people need to see that we care even if we pick the wrong way to show it or the wrong way to say it. In fact, Mark, Mark tells us about Jesus' response to their action in verse 5. Here's what he says. When Jesus saw their faith, when he saw the faith of this paralyzed guy's friends, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And you know, I kind of guess that when Jesus first said that, maybe these friends... And this paralyzed man, maybe, maybe they're a little bit disappointed and maybe their heart sinks a little bit. I mean, like, yeah, we want his sins to be forgiven, but what we really want, Jesus, is for him to walk. But Jesus knew what he was doing. Like, he started by giving this man what he most needed. First of all, giving him a life free from spiritual death. But even just as important, giving him a lie free from guilt and shame. The guilt and shame of feeling like God must be angry with me to let me live like this. Because see, in first century culture, many of the religious people believe that if you had a disease or you had some kind of illness or if you were crippled in some kind of way or, or you didn't have any kind of wealth, then that God was angry at you. 
And so it's very likely that this paralyzed man felt like because God allowed that to happen in his life that God was angry at him. They also, many of the religious people believe that if you were blessed, then God's favor was toward you. And that's not true, and Jesus knew that. And so by saying to this man, your sins are forgiven, God is saying to him, listen, I want you to know that God is not against you. God is not angry at you. God's favor is toward you, just like everybody else. And you may not see that God is coming through for you right now, but let me reassure you that he loves you. He loves you so much that he wants a friendship with you. Your sins are forgiven. That's, God is for you. He wants to forgive you so he can have a relationship with you. And what I find amazing about this is that Jesus chose to show this man this truth, not because of what the man did, but because of what his friends did. See, Jesus was moved by their faith. Jesus did what he did for this man because of their faith. And I want to tell you something, folks. It is why we as a church, we always challenge you to show that you are for others. Because here's the reality. Sometimes people will not be able to say, in fact, I would say most of the time, people will not be able to understand that God is for them until you first show that you are for them. See, just like this man, this paralyzed man, he would have never understood that God was for him had his friends not showed them or showed him that he was for them. See, oftentimes it's through our step of faith of showing someone else that we're for them that that opens up this door for them to be able to see, wow, and God is for me too. God is not against me. And so while this guy and his friends are probably absolutely amazed, there's a group of people in the room that Jesus' willingness to forgive this man, it didn't impress him at all. And you can imagine who it was. It was the religious leaders who were there in the room as well. I mean, literally they are ticked off by what has just happened when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. In fact, here's how Mark describes this in verse 6. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? Referring to Jesus, like, why is Jesus saying your sins are forgiven? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? To which Jesus would say, of course only God can forgive sins. And and I'm not blaspheming because I am God in human flesh. In fact, Jesus made this clear throughout his life and his ministry. And the fact that he was God is why when you get people to Jesus, good things happen. In fact, notice what happens next. Immediately, because he's God, and not only does he have the power to forgive sins, but he knows what you're thinking, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, can you imagine how difficult this would be to be in a room with Jesus, you know? And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Like, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? He says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, referring to himself, has authority on earth to forgive sin. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And so what Jesus is saying in this last part here, he's saying, listen, I am God in human flesh, and I have the power to heal both the body and the soul. 
And can you imagine the tension and the drama that is in this room in this moment? I mean, like you got these religious leaders who are ticked off and they're accusing Jesus of blaspheming God because he said, you know, I can forgive sin. And then Jesus comes along and goes, well, not only can I forgive his sin, but I can heal his body. He goes, so get up, take your mat, and go home. And I'm sure there's just this moment of tension in the room and everybody's going, will he do it? Can he do it? Did Jesus just really heal this guy? Notice verse 12. Here's what happens. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Now, here's the thing. What do you think this guy did? First thing he did when he walked out of the room. What do you think he did? I think he might have went up there and helped him fix Peter's roof, right? No, no. I'm sure what he did is high fives, buddies, hugged his buddies, said, thank you, thank you so much. Because here's the deal. This guy's life was changed forever because these guys, his friends, they leaned into him. They showed him that they were for him. And in the process, it changed his life forever. And not only that, not only did it change his life forever, but it changed everybody who was in that room there as well. Notice the next part of the verse. It says, he got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, here's the thing. We as a church, we say this over and over, we believe the church in America has been for too long known what it's against. We believe the church needs to be known for what it's for. We just absolutely believe that we need to show that we are for people because when they understand that we are for them, it opens up the door for them to understand that God is for them. See, and these men, they pushed through because this is what they believed, that if we can bring someone to Jesus, something good will happen. Because see, Jesus was physically in their town, and they just felt like they had to get their friend in front of Jesus. Now for us today, it's different. For, for you and I, it's like Jesus can't be physically in our town. So what we have to do is we have to bring our bottom of the ninth friends and, and coworkers and neighbors to Jesus in a different way. But here's what we believe as a church. We believe this, that if we can bring Jesus to someone, something good will happen like while we can't get you to Jesus physically but guess what we believe that if we can bring Jesus to somebody something good something will be transformed in their life and something amazing will happen in fact the apostle Paul he taught he says those of us later on in, in, in book of Corinthians and or his letter that he wrote to the church at Corinthian and Corinth and then also to the, the church at Ephesus he, he said these words he's basically said that those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. We make up this thing called the church. And he said, the church, those of us that call ourselves followers of Christ, don't miss this, we are the body of Christ in this world. And that when people are in our presence, they should feel, they should get a taste of what it would be like to be in the presence of Jesus. I mean, they should get a taste of his love, of his grace, his mercy, his power, his kindness, his compassion. And so it is our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to step in and to love people like Jesus loved them, to encourage people like Jesus encouraged them, to treat people like Jesus treated people, to stick by people like Jesus stuck with people. 
See, we should be the body to anybody who needs somebody. Don't miss that. What Jesus is saying is we should be so for other people that we should be the body for somebody who needs, or for anybody who needs somebody. Like, as your small group, that small group that you're in, as a group of friends, as, as a team of people who serve together on our dream team, like, we should be the body to anybody who needs somebody. See, we should be for them, and that's why we are a church who are committed to showing our communities that we are for. Because here's the truth. Here's what bottom of the ninth friends do. People that are for people, here's what they do. Bottom of the ninth friends will tear the roof off to help you. They, they don't just tell you they're thinking about you. They don't just say that they are praying for you. They don't just hear your story and go, wow, I'm so sorry to hear that. And, and man, I'm gonna pray for you and ask God to bless you. No, 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 no. They do something for you that will bless you. And here's the thing. Bottom of the night, friends, people who are for you, like they don't worry about if they're perfect. They just make sure they're present because here's what they know. They know I'm praying for you is not gonna put groceries on the table. They know I'm praying for you won't fix the fact that you're sitting in a hospital waiting room by yourself while your loved one is going through a crisis. No, they don't just pray for you as important as prayer is. Because what they do when they're for you, they know that you tangibly need to see God's love through them. So bottom of the ninth friends will tear the roof off to make sure you know that God has not left you, that God is for you. They want you to tangibly feel that he is with you and they let him love you through them. That's what God wants to do. So here's the thing, before we close today, I want us all on all of our campuses, I want us to do something together. So everybody on every campus, go ahead and pull out your phone right now. Everybody pull out your phone. Everybody do this together. Let's all do this, okay? Make sure to keep them on silent, but everybody get out your phone. Because we're gonna use your phones in just a second. All right, everybody got your phone out? Now, before you do that, we got a couple of statements I want you to look at. First this, I want you to think of someone you know who's in the bottom of the ninth. Who, who is somebody that you know that is in the bottom of the ninth? I mean, we could all think about who that person is, that person who just told you they lost a family member unexpectedly or they, they were told, given a report that they have cancer or that all of a sudden now they're going through a divorce or they just lost their job. I mean, you could think, I mean, what, who is somebody? We all know someone, don't we? Now, here's the second statement. Decide what you can do. But what can you do right now to show them that you're for them? Beside what you can do this week to show them that you're for them. Now, here's what we're going to use your phones for. We'll give you about 30 seconds to set a reminder on your phone to do something for this person. You can either text yourself, maybe put it as a, as a to-do on your phone, or put it on your calendar to do something for this person this next week. Do something for them. Maybe even text your spouse. Say, hey, remind me to do something for so-and-so. Go ahead and do that right now. Give you about 30 seconds right now. Who's in the bottom of the ninth that you know, and what can you do for them this week?
Okay, you've had enough time because some of you started texting other people back who've texted you during the service. So anyhow, uh, no, here, here's the thing. Here, here's what's so powerful about this this week. Well, what can you do for them? For some of you, I mean, it's like your boss, your employer is going to pay you to take a day off to show other people that you're for them. I mean, like, you're going to get a whole day this week for many of you that somebody is going to pay you to take that day off and you have the opportunity to use that day to show somebody that you are for them. See, we don't often think about the 4th of July like that, right? But as you think about the 4th, let, let it remind you, hey, part of me being a follower of Jesus Christ is I don't need to turn inward during this holiday season and just think about me and myself. But I need to think about how I can be for somebody. And oh, by the way, my employer is going to pay me for a whole day of leave time so that I can show somebody that I am for them. And here's the thing, in the process of you showing them that you're for them, it could open up the door to help them understand that God has not left them, that God is for them. And can you imagine the power of all of us doing this together this week on all five of our campuses? Like, can you imagine the stories of how, like, God could use you and so many different people in different communities? And, and can you imagine what it would be like to be part of somebody's comeback story and have, help them have a breakthrough in their life? Can you imagine that? See, here's the thing. The reason we challenge you over and over again as the body of Christ, as a church, to show others that you're for them is because God wants to use you and God wants to use me to help somebody understand that God has not left them, that God is still for them. But here's the thing. For people to understand that God has not left them, that God is still for them, we have to show up for that to happen. It's why being for is so important. It is why we say over and over again, for far too long the church in America has been known for what is it a gift. We need to be known as a group of people of who we are for. We are for our families. We are for our neighbors. We are for our coworkers. We are for our community. So this week, don't, don't worry about being perfect. Just worry about being present and take some of your holiday that somebody is paying you for and use it to be present in somebody else's life. And I promise you, if you will do that, man, you'll open up a door for somebody to understand that God has not left them and that God is for them and it could change their life forever. And can you imagine, can you imagine what happens if we start living this out in all of our communities? I mean, people would be just like we saw in the scripture. They'll go, we've never seen anything like this. We, we've never seen a group of Christ followers who truly were for people, not against everything. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity to learn of how to love. Because God is followers of Christ. I mean, this is what love requires of us. God, you were for us and, and you acted. You didn't just hope something would get better. No, you took a tangible step. You came from heaven to earth and you died on a cross and you rose again and, and you took on yourself our sin and you paid for that. And God, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit will give us the courage and the power to go into this week. And God, for many of us, we got a whole day where somebody's gonna pay us to do nothing 
but help us to do something for somebody who needs to know that God has not left them, that God is for them, and help us to do that in a tangible way by doing something for them ourselves. God, help us not to get paralyzed by trying to do something perfect or say something perfect, but God, help us to just do what love requires, and that's to take an action to show them that we care. Daddy, thank you for what you're gonna do in our lives and through our lives, but as you're gonna transform our communities with the love of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we give you thanks. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone. Have a great 4th of July showing everybody that you're for them. We'll see you next Sunday.